My name's Jeremy Sexton. I am an intern with Chi Alpha. Woo! That's where we're at right now. Um, I graduated from the University of Idaho with a degree in secondary education. Woo! Go potatoes. After graduating, I decided to take a leap of faith with God and not go the traditional career route into teaching. I came over here and began my internship. And let me tell you, it's been a rough year, okay? First of all, I had to get used to the fact that Ellensburg has a cash-only movie theater. Okay, I love movies. One of my top five favorite movies is Back to the Future. If you want to know the other four, come talk to me afterwards. This is how I get people to talk to me. Um, So I say this to say that a cash-only movie theater has been rough. But I think, like, it's probably been good, right? It, it's helped me save money, and it's given me time to do my internship work. Speaking of internship work, the second thing that's been really hard is that there's so much reading. Like, so much reading. And I, I like reading, okay? One of, one of my favorite genres is fantasy. Right now I'm working myself. Yeah! I'm working myself through this series called The Malazan Book of the Fallen. You know, it's like this ten-tome, like, epic series that you have to say with gravitas. There's dragons and shapeshifters and shapeshifting dragons. Ugh, it's crazy. So I love reading, but the internship has been just another level. I feel like books are coming out of my ears and my nose and my mouth and I, like, it's crazy. Like, I am overwhelmed. The third reason that the internship has been so hard is I've had to make a decision to do campus ministry. And that's been one of the hardest decisions that I've ever had to make in my life. But I'm getting ahead of myself. One major bright spot is this February, I proposed to an amazing woman. Oh! You may know her as Dorothy Katie. Um, She's just wonderful. And let me tell you. (laughs) They grow up so fast. Okay. It It was a magical proposal. So I tricked Dorothy into going to Moscow, where University of Idaho is, um, in order to have a girls' night with her best friend. Her best friend was in on the evil scheme and took Dorothy for a walk in a winter wonderland through the University of Idaho Arboretum. And voila, there I was. (laughs) And there was much merriment. Well until the drive back to Ellensburg. You see, it had started snowing right before we left Moscow. And the drive back to Ellensburg with all these snowy conditions was one of the most stressful situations I've ever been in. It felt like we were in a blizzard. Okay, if you want an accurate depiction of the road conditions, talk to Dorothy. You West Siders who have to travel over the pass every winter have this much sympathy for me. I know. That's a zero for you math miners out there. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Um, Now, (laughs) this might be... um, But needless to say, I was freaking out. Okay? Um, 
I even told Dorothy afterwards, like, I survived the fall quarter of the internship where books are running out of my ears. And this is the most stressful situation I've ever been in. How many of you have worried before? That's me. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm so glad to see so many hands up. How many of you have lost sleep because you were so worried? Oh, yeah. How many, how many of you have been so worried about getting homework done that you can't focus on homework, so you don't get it done, and then you just get more worried? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I am a professional worrier. Um, unfortunately, I don't get paid for it. Um, in my family, we call it being a worry wart. So I say this to say that the passage we're about to read is so convicting to me it hurts. Okay? So I'm right there with you guys. We're in this together. So before we get into the passage, let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity that we can come here and worship and have fellowship together, that we can have community under your name, God. Um, Lord, I pray for this message that I come with a posture of humility, um, that it's not my wisdom or eloquence that comes through, lest your cross be emptied of its power, God. Um, let it be your words and your Holy Spirit who shine through today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this quarter, we've been voyaging through the book of Matthew. We have been learning about Jesus and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's rule and reign. Tonight, we are going to be continuing this journey as we look at one of the most famous passages of Scripture. You may know this as that verse that my core leaders take me to whenever I'm stressed out about a test. It's Matthew 6, 25. So let's flip there. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Already convicting. Look at that. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or uh, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Jesus commands us not to worry. But I've always wondered why should we not worry? What is the context of this verse? The first thing I notice when I read this is the word therefore. Therefore is a concluding word. It comes at the end of a lar- at one argument and transitions into another. Whenever we see the word therefore in the Bible, we have to consider the passage that precedes the verse. We must ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Uh, That wasn't original. That was thoroughly stolen by so many pastors. (laughs) So this verse comes near the end of a larger message that Jesus gives called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount runs from Matthew 5 to 7. It's Jesus' mission statement, if you will. It gives the ethics of the kingdom of God. How might our life change if we live according to God's rule and reign as opposed to our own? The Sermon on the Mount could be a message series in and of itself. Ironically, University of Idaho is going through a message series on the Sermon on the Mount right now. So that said, we don't have time to do a deep dive into it as much as I want to. But I challenge you, you should all read the Sermon on the Mount this week. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It might even change your life if you let it. 
But tonight, let's focus on a really specific part of the Sermon on the Mount as we try to figure out why we should not worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. What is the therefore, therefore? So let's begin with Matthew 6, 19 through 21. This is just a little bit before the section on worry. Um, You probably don't even have to flip the page. If you do, I am so sorry. I don't know your Bible. Okay. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what does our treasure have to do with our worry? Well, first off, we should probably define what treasure is. When I was in late elementary school, a wee lad, if you will, um, I saved up money to buy a GameCube. Yeah. Now, this was at the end of the GameCube's lifespan, so there were many in dingy game stores that smelled like cigarette smoke. So little Jeremy, a, you know, 10 years old, saved up money to do this, and I did it. I marched into that dingy game store, handed over my $80, and walked out with a brand spanking used GameCube. (laughs) And I treasured that GameCube. I really did. Did the carrying case smell like cigarette smoke? Yep. Did we try to wash out the cigarette smoke by spraying apple cinnamon air freshener into it? (laughs) Oh, you bet we did. Did the carrying case smell even worse? but it was my GameCube. It was my treasure. What do you treasure? Not not everyone has a GameCube story, but we all treasure something. Do you treasure your phone? What about your career? Do you treasure your grades? How about your personality? Consider what you treasure. Is your treasure earthly or heavenly. For Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? On earth or in heaven? Where then is your heart? Jesus describes earthly and heavenly treasures in a parallel light. Treasures fade. Moths and vermin destroy them. Thieves steal them. I think of sand falling through my hand. What about heavenly treasures? Well, they're the opposite. They cannot be stolen. They cannot be destroyed. They are eternal. Jesus is comparing the infinite reward of heaven to the finite reward of earth. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What happens to our heart if we are putting our hope in earthly finite treasure. Think about your treasure again. How would you react if that treasure disappeared? Do you start thinking of ways to hold on to your treasure? Do you start to worry? I could relate this back to my GameCube and how I would get really upset whenever my parents told me I couldn't play it. It was my GameCube, my treasure! let's get a little bit more serious. One of the reasons this internship has been so hard for me 
is that I felt God was calling me to give up my lifelong dream of being a teacher this year. Ever since I was in fourth grade, I've wanted to be a teacher. It was my career, my treasure. However, this year I felt God telling me to trust him with my career. I made the prospect of teaching an idol, and now God was asking me to put him before it. What earthly treasures are you trying to hold on to? Have you let them become an idol? Holding on to earthly treasures causes so much needless worry in our lives. This year, I worried so much about my career. Heck, I'm still worried about it. Like, that's why this message has been a gut punch of conviction to me. Fortunately, Jesus provides a solution. Let's read Matthew 6, through 24. This is right after this section of worry, so I can't wait to hear about this solution. Okay, Matthew 6, 22. The eye is the... The eye? Wait, what, does I, what do eyes have to do with treasure? Okay, one second. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what does eye healthiness have to do with our treasure? Now, I don't think that Jesus is talking about, like, literal eye health. He's not teaching us to be optometrists, right? So what is the metaphor? Well, in order to understand this, we have to understand some of the original Greek context. So, first and foremost, the eye is our worldview. It is how we see the world, right? Healthiness, the original Greek word for that, implies generosity. And unhealthy, the original Greek word, implies stinginess. So what this is all saying is Jesus is contrasting a worldview of generosity with a worldview of stinginess. Let's think about this. What happens when our worldview is based around finite earthly treasure? We start living in a world where resources are scarce. I must hold on to my treasure because it could be destroyed or stolen. It's my money, my time, my career, my life. We become stingy and our hearts become dark. But what happens when the things we treasure are heavenly and infinite? We trust in God's provision. God generously provides for us. And out of that generosity, we can provide for others. I can give my money. I can give my time. I can give my career. I can give my life. For I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I know that my God will provide for me now and all the way into forever. 
Therefore, let me give to others graciously so that I may show the world my generous God. How much brighter would the world be if we started living according to God's generosity instead of earthly stinginess? How would your life change if you started thinking, how might I give instead of how might I get? I think this is one of the most important questions for us young people to wrestle with. How many of you have heard the term, you know, poor college student or busy college student? Are these words of generosity or stinginess? How many times have you used the excuse, I don't have enough money to tithe, I'm a poor college student, or I'm too busy to go to core? Are those words of generosity or stinginess? I used that tithing one a lot when I was a college student. This year I've even used it when it came to supporting missionaries. I can't support missionaries right now. I'm a poor Chi Alpha intern. Oh. Do you have a worldview of generosity or stinginess? How can we believe in God, the creator of the universe, who breathes galaxies into existence, but still worry about whether or not we have time to go to core? Doesn't that seem like a contradiction? If we truly believe in an all-powerful and loving God, why don't we act like it? Jesus is inviting us to a worldview of abundance and generosity. Why do we want to live thinking we don't have enough? You see, the more that I give my time, the more I give my money, the more I give my career, the more I realize how graciously God provides for me. Have you considered that a life in submission to King Jesus, have you considered that an abundant life? The more I trust God with my resources, I become less a servant of the world and more a servant of God. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Are you serving earthly rewards or are you serving God? As Jesus people, I love that term. It might be my favorite term. As Jesus people, we have a relationship with the king and the creator of the universe. What greater reward could we have? And now this is probably my favorite part of the whole message. Because the generosity of the kingdom is not a moral checkbox. It's not something we do in order to be good people. Our generosity stems from the reality of who God is. He is faithful to his promises. He is our rock and he is our refuge. 
at the breath of his nostrils, the foundations of the earth are laid bare, and he loves us all the same. <laughs> Thanks, Mireya. <laughs> or Ryan. I, it was one of the, okay. <laughs> you see, we worship a real God who really loves us and provides for us in a real way. Really? What other worldview could bring that security? And now, now we've hit the verse we've all been waiting for. Matthew 6.25. Let's read Matthew 6.25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is thrown into the, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows, knows that you will need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So why should we not worry? Well, Jesus tells us that God will generously provide for our lives. I can just imagine Jesus pointing to the birds and the flowers. Look at the birds, Jesus says. See how the flowers of the field grow. Don't you see how God cares for them? Then Jesus points to the audience. Are you not much more valuable than they? Don't you see how God cares for you? Are we living in a, with a worldview of generosity or stinginess? Do we see how God cares for us? At the beginning of the quarter, Michael talked about God wanting to partner with us to put the world back under God's rule. And even last week, the traveling, talked, traveling, talked, the traveling team talked about being blessed so that we can be a blessing. How might our generosity bring God's kingdom crashing onto earth? As we go forth as a kingdom of generous Jesus people, let us not worry about what we give. Worry has no place in the kingdom of heaven. When that friend of yours 
I'm looking at you, Mike. Asks you for a French fry during dinner. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> Do not worry about having enough French fries. <laughs> Is not life more than French fries? <laughs> or how about this? What about when you sacrifice valuable study time to be with a core member as you really sit with them through grief, through depression, through something they're being vulnerable about? Don't worry about what grade you're going to get on the test. Is not life more than grades? Or when you have a non-Christian classmate that really needs to hear about God's love for them, do not care about what they, do not worry about what they think of you. Is not life more than your reputation? As we enter a time of reflection, I want to invite the worship team up. Now, as you, yeah, come up worship team, come on, join me up here, okay. As you listen to this message, you might have a lot of yeah buts. Right? Like, I get you, Jeremy, but I have student loans to pay off. Or I get you, Jeremy, but I got an F on my test, and I really need to study for the next one so I can, you know, graduate and get a job. And I totally understand that. Student loans and grades, just to name a few examples, are very important and very real things. And I don't think that Jesus is calling us to be unwise or unintentional with our resources. I actually think that's really unbiblical. However, when we start asking to what extent should I be generous, we stop, we stop asking how can I grow in my generosity. I kind of stumbled over that sentence, so let me say it again. When we start asking to what extent should I be generous, we stop asking how can I grow in my generosity. So tonight, let's really challenge ourselves with these questions. Let's stop creating barriers that hinder our growth. The first question is, how might you treasure God's provision? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is your heart clinging to the things of this world? Or is your heart resting in the eternal provision of the creator of the universe? Second question is, how does my generosity allow others to see who God is? Really consider what worldview you're putting on display. Yes, you may be claim to be living with the values and ethics of the kingdom of God, but is that the worldview you are showing to those around you? How does our worldview put our real and powerful God on display? For example, we might tell our non-Christian friend, I believe in a God of comfort. But what do we turn to when we worry? Do we turn to God or do we turn to Netflix? Do your actions show a worldview of generosity or scarcity? Do they distinguish our God from the other idols of this world? The third question is, how can I grow in my generosity starting tomorrow? Does this mean providing meal card swipes for those who don't have the means to eat? 
Does this mean helping a classmate with homework? Does this mean giving your personal Bible away to someone who doesn't have one? Have you considered how sharing Jesus' love could be generous? In summary, let us stop treasuring the things of earth. Let us treasure the fact that God provides for us now and all the way into forever. Let us be generous in the same way that God is. And let us not worry about what resources we have. Let us give abundantly and generously. Let us bring God's kingdom crashing down to earth through our worldview of generosity.